Yeah, well, it's all well and good, you WEC people dropping the grid girls. But have you thought about the girls themselves, eh? They'd be out of work. Have you considered that, eh? 20 or 30 beautiful women with nothing to do. Who's going to take care of them then, eh? You leave this to me, yes? Flav here to be help. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. He's Zog. Hello. He's Richard. Hello. And I'm guessing that you're probably rather like us if you're listening to this. You're probably a car person. Anyone who listens to this program who isn't a car person, probably not going to get what they need from a podcast, are they? They probably haven't worked out how to use their podcast catching device properly. Yes, they're looking for Gardner's Question Time and they've got us. Not that we're in Results. the same category. <laughs> You're not wrong. But being car people, we've observed, the three of us, that there is stuff that you do as a car person that separates you from other people. Richard, you've been experiencing this with your son recently, haven't you? Well, I suddenly realised something that anyone who's ever pushed a pushchair would do where you make engine noises. For the amusement of the child in the pushchair. And I've seen dads doing this before. You know, you see them going down the street, you look like a bit of div, but it doesn't matter because you're entertaining your son. So you're going along going... But what I realised is that I put far too much detail into it. So I was doing it yesterday and we were zipping along, but then we need to turn a corner. Yeah, well, it's sort of like that, but I do downshifts. (laughs) And I'll do a little blip on the downshift. (laughs) So we had to turn a corner, so I was like... And get quite detailed on the gear changes. As you should. You might even bump a limiter a couple of times. Your uh, son will yeah. do well from that. I was trying to work out get if I him. could maybe do a bit of anti-lag or something like that. <laughs> if that's maybe getting a bit too complicated. But yeah, I realised, I genuinely, I was doing the downshift stuff and the blip on the downshift without even realising I was doing it. It just sort of seemed like it was normal came, to me. And I suddenly thought... Came naturally. I bet there's a lot of dads who aren't doing that because they're normal. But there's yeah. me going... Yeah. Did you do the pop release valve as well, the overboost? I could uh, do a bit of dump valve, couldn't I? Also, yeah. I don't know whether maybe before I start off, I should just do a, is it a, turbo do a, a sort of traction way? control is hold it? on the throttle. So I, I, before we set off, I'll just be outside the house going... <laughs> and then we'll be off. And then Very the neighbours won't speak to me anymore. Well, if you're going to do something, you may as well do it properly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's okay. the thing. It's a car nerd thing. And I also, on a similar note, I think... We'd all agree, if you are in a supermarket pushing the trolley, you've got to, if you're into cars, kick the arse out around the end of the aisles. Yeah. Always get it into a nice four-wheel drift. Yeah. But and then just it- gather it all up in a neat way. You don't want a fishtail. You've got to keep it. I, mean, also- I don't know where you're shopping, though, but I found it very hard. I've never found a supermarket trolley that's really got a good, solid rear end. You know, they're always a bit tail-happy for me. But do you sometimes? Front end's a disaster as well. Because I... Uh, this shopping trolley handles like a... Show me the one shot. It's like a shot. Oh. Um, no, I sometimes do. It depends the layout of the supermarket, but the one I go to most often, because we live in North London and we're terrible, wasteful people, I like fizzy water. I know it's ridiculous. No, water no, comes you, out of the I, tap. I, no, it's ridiculous that you buy that stuff. I know, but I, I do. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm giving you a hard like time for that. Fizzy okay, water. I'm now over it. Please continue. That, I have no excuse. Kidney Come, stones. You don't, you're like. What? It'll give you kidney stones. Really? Yeah. High mineral levels in mineral water ah. is resulting oh, in increased uh, uh, I, example I, of kidney I, stones. I, I drink a lot I of stuff. Sorry about that. I, the water that comes out of taps in a lot of places, including in my house, is a bit murky and disgusting. <laughs> so we did have one of those water filter things and it broke. So I just buy bottles of fizzy water, but they come in a big four-pack, very heavy. But I experiment sometimes with where I put it in the trolley 
and what it does to the weight distribution. If you've got a full trolley, it's the last aisle before you get the till. So it has to go in the sort of little compartmenty thing at the front yeah, yeah. and up high as well. It no, plays havoc with your weight distribution. The trolley then just wants to understeer horrendously. <laughs> it's like driving an old Audi. My simplistic thinking of this was, if I'm thinking, where am I going to put that load of water in the trolley? I'm thinking it wants to go at the front of the trolley because mm. I can never push a supermarket trolley without wanting to give it a little shove and then hop up and Ah. ride on it for as long as it can coast. And the thing is that you've actually got to tilt your upper body a fair way over the rail, usually, to prevent the shopping trolley tipping back. Yes. So you want weight in the front of the trolley in order that you can actually successfully coast halfway down the aisle. I came horribly a cropper doing that once. Really? In a supermarket car park after possibly some drink had been taken and we found some old trolleys. Back in the day when they weren't always chained up, yeah. And we were racing trolleys around the car park. Well, you would. And there's one of those little, just That's a, a carpet. just a, a, not even a semicircle, but just one of those drainage gullies. And yeah. I sort of went into that at a bit of an angle and went over sideways. No suspension. Really well, cracked my arm. And, yeah, it was... I remember being, I can't remember if it was in New Zealand or the States or somewhere in the last five years. And we were shopping in a supermarket and the trolley had a switch on it, which would lock the front wheel straight forward. What? Oh. Yeah. Why would so, you do that? Oh, it's easy. You just steer from the rear. Yeah, yeah. So rear wheel steer, or when you need extra maneuverability, you release that, and the whole thing will now shopping trolley. Well, that's that interesting that because okay. uh, that a, a lot of US shopping trolleys, in my experience, don't have rear wheel steering. Ah. They only steer at the front. Now that makes them quite pointy, makes them quite good on the turn in, mm. but it means you can't kick the back out to drift it through an end of aisle. I feel an oh, okay, auto okay. car Christmas yeah. review special yeah. coming on of this. That would be perfect. Be I was thinking that there was something you know, completely wrong with this. Somehow your American trolleys would be handling better than the European trolleys, which, which you know, somehow wouldn't <laughs> be... Wrong. I think yeah. the handling is potentially tidier, particularly unladen, mm. because they also seem to have quite rubberized wheels. So you're going into your classic hairpin round yeah. one aisle into the next, and you chuck it in. You've got a very aggressive front-end turn, but then it's very grippy at mm. the back. So you've got to lean on that grip, and you can almost get them onto two wheels by doing that. So they'll kick up an inside back wheel like a classic hot hatchback. You don't but it's a very different handling style to no the suspension British trolley. There's no suspension to put it back okay. down. You just fight the yeah. well, yeah. like you know, It's almost like they are. They're kind of quite solidly suspended. Well, they're very um, solidly suspended. As a car person, other things that we do as car people, I've noticed Zog here... Mm. Turned up in a. Well, yeah, no. What I, is that? Because we're doing this today. No, I'm wearing a pair of surplus British Army tank crew overalls, you are. which I picked up. You know, I do a fair amount of my own car maintenance, and as you get more into doing this, it's not enough to just have you know regular tatty old overalls. I need a new pair of overalls, and so I got these, which apart from being actually dirt cheap, they're just fantastic. There are pockets everywhere, really good quality. Aren't you uh, sweltering? They're flame retardant, which is not a bad thing. In here, um, no, yeah, never, yeah. yeah. Uh, unless it's a box of matches or a packet of cigarettes, I suppose, which is annoying. Well, no, we, we could uh, give it a quick test, but no. Oh, no, I'm not suggesting we set fire to your overalls. I'm just trying to think of a few things that you wouldn't want to be flame retardant. Otherwise, oh, I think flame sorry, retardancy yeah, is generally, generally is a good thing. Is retardancy a word? Retardation? So, yeah, we buy stuff that sort of reinforces well, our... Well, as an added our, bonus our with your outfit, when I walked in and saw you, I, I immediately thought you'd come as a ghostbuster. You look like you could just have the well, pack and not cross the streams and... Ah, well, you're quite right. It does also have the benefit that I've got all kinds of fancy dress possibilities... Mm. You know, coming off the next factory dress party could be Ghostbusters, could be flight crew as well. You know, could be Andy actually, Green. These, these are rather like yeah. you know, could yeah. be flight crew overalls. Yeah. yeah, I could just add another couple of bits and just go as you know, be a diner rod tanker. I could. Oh, it always could be a bit sort of you know uh, sci-fi crew of maybe the Nostromo, yeah. the ship in Aliens. Yeah, you know, that oh, kind yeah. of uh, very workman-like outfit. Yeah, exactly. Do you 
know what I do? So, yeah, as a car mm -hmm. When I'm walking around the house here, I take the racing line. Oh, yes, always. Of course you do. You plot the perfect apex, even when I'm well, on the streets, you know. Yeah. Talk about racing line. One thing that I've been doing recently in the car, which is definitely a car nerdy thing, there are some trips where I'm just trying to drive as smoothly as possible. I'm just trying to do a, yes, you know, just, just, make, just make a real effort to make all of the journey, every part of it, just smooth, mm. nothing sudden, nothing sharp, efficient. Have you got one of those wrist brands precise. that just says, what would Alan Prost do? <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting one now. Yeah, I think we should yeah. all get them. I realise I do that. I might mention this on the show before, a long time ago. But when I'm on the London Underground, and you know, if you'd have to do an interchange at a station, you're plotting mm. the traffic. But I used to do it when I was regularly sort of passing through Tottenham Court Road station between the Northern and Central. Chaos. Line. Chaos. It's it's like the they shut the interchange. Anyway, we get yeah. bogged down in that. But I also, I think at that point, Martin Brundle was the lead commentator on the F1, and I used to hear Brundle's voice in my head. <laughs> we go, oh, it's very ballsy. As he, he's going to need the power on the straight. As he got the power he's got him he's got him can he make it slip? can he he's make the, the gap there's a yeah. gap open it for the crowd there can he make it before the door shut yeah if he doesn't watch out for that man's briefcase he's going to be in all sorts he's got him he's oh, dive down the inside that was textbook and so on beautiful the most satisfying thing I have as a car fan at the moment is when I go ice skating I take my youngest son ice skating on Saturday morning and he has uh, a bit of time with his mates and we have a bit of time skating together but have we got an aircraft about to land in the living room? Listen. Alien that invasion? That is definitely an aircraft. Yeah. If it gets I really loud... I had a really weird plane last night going over mine in the middle of the night. Zeppelin? No, it, it seemed to reverberate for a lot longer. It was far away, very high up, oh. I think. But it sort of went... And then... Again, it was just, it was just like it wasn't diminishing. I mean, the West London aircraft sounds we get, there are the aircraft going into Heathrow when the wind is mm. in a certain direction, yep. certain times of day, so you get that, you know, that's a regular thing. And then you get two kinds of helicopters. You get the police helicopters, which yeah. sound one way, and you get the Chinooks. Oh, oh, the Chinooks. Chinooks. I mean, two. Yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 that's the Chinook. <laughs> oh. the Do you hear Chinooks in West London? Though? Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. over in Marlow a couple well, weeks ago and two went over. And oh, two Chinooks went yeah. over together. I mean, I, we can't even go there must be, <laughs> I mean, there must be some regular transport corridor between maybe one barracks and another because, uh, no, you hear them regularly. We're just by Putney Bridge. So, as I was saying before we started talking about helicopters, a valid part of the conversation when I go ice skating with number two son, we play indie cars because it's an oval. Ah. And, so, and so I'm okay. actually skating whilst in a sort of driver so, position with my hands held out in front holding an invisible steering wheel as his number two son and his two mates, three mates sometimes, and we race round what is an oval circuit. I take the inside line. Do you draft? Sometimes. I was going to say, draft, yeah, 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 yeah. How fast does it have to be going round an ice rink before you actually get a drafting effect? Uh, we'll never know. But I aim to find out next week. Good luck. And here we go at the Orsonville Super Speedway. The first oval round of IndyCar 2015 gets underway. And Helio Castro-Nives makes an incredible start as he performs a double salco into the first corner. And here's Danica Patrick and Patrick Carpanier together now. A jump, a triple twist. Oh, and what a landing! And here's the part everyone's been waiting for, the return of Juan Pablo Montoya, energized by a new sponsorship deal with Pizza Hut. And, oh my goodness! Yes sir, the ice is broken beneath him again. Step Central! 
Just seeing Zog here in his military overalls stimulated a conversation about tanks a little earlier on, and Zog's been hiding a fact which we'd like to welcome Violet Burley into the programme for Zog to reveal on the show. Hi, Vee. Nice to have you back on the show. Um, go on, you two do well, this. We, yeah, on. we were just talking about, about tank yeah. stuff, and in conversation, the question of how fast tanks can go came up, and I just happened to have read recently what the world speed record is for tanks and when it was set. Actually, before we continue, maybe I should just actually check the actual fact. Cause no. I'm, I'm pretty, <laughs> go on, I'm, go I'm, and check it. Check it, I'm sure about the speed, but the actual year... Well, you, you look into that. Think, I'm going to ask Violet something while you're checking the speed. Because, okay. Violet, you've written about tanks. We've written about tanks. Well, yes, it was a while back. But yeah. I did some films and interactives for the Tank Museum in Bovington. So when Zog mentioned that he knew what the fastest tank speed was, I admit my face lit up. And I was trying to think, you know, maybe who made this tank? That was my first thought. So let's just think about this. Let's try and deduce yeah. the fastest tank, where it came from. Yeah. Well... It was a while back, but I'm just thinking. first thought was that the T-34 was like a nippy tank. The Russian famously, one, the Russian one. Famously yeah, nippy, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. But also that the French make quite quick tanks. They had good suspension, light tanks that went quick. Light tanks, yeah. yeah. And of course, it comes down to the size, doesn't it? But we're definitely talking a tank and not an armoured vehicle here. Yeah, yeah. It's no, got it's, tracks. It's definitely a tank. It was a proper tracked armoured vehicle with a big gun as opposed to a, a tracked armoured vehicle you just put some people in which would be an armoured personnel carrier or a tracked armoured vehicle with a crane on it which might be a recovery vehicle so, no, a, funny. a proper tank albeit might not be a heavy tank might be a medium tank might be a light tank who knows mm-hmm. so let's just think about recent tanks so there were all those tanks in the Gulf Wars weren't there the American tanks the mm-hmm. M1 uh, the Abrams M1 is the current M1. American main battle tank which which they're does, pretty big, which does aren't ha- they? They, they are big, heavy, uh, yeah, big. And, they, and they've got enormous jet turbine engines in them that can run on a variety of fuel. But I'm not going to tell you how fast they go. No, but it just seems to me that to be quick, you need a good balance. You might want a big gun, as Zog says, and reasonable armour. But the most armoured, biggest tanks that might be the most memorable of recent years might not be the faster They're one. Often it might vulnerable. be an older tank. Well, in fact, you're right that if it's a very big tank with a lot of armour, speed is mm-hmm. probably not its strongest feature. On the whole, there's a trade-off between weight and speed, so lighter tanks tend to go faster, and they rely on their speed to get out of trouble. I've checked the date and I've checked the speed, so, OK. And I was a couple of years off on the year, but I was bang on on the speed. But, uh, so okay. can I just so, ask, go on. are we going to be surprised? Is it a much older tank that could go faster than some of the modern tanks? I don't think I should give you a clue. Oh. This is just one of those, oh, you know... But the, But just to put this in context, we're talking about vehicles that were basically invented in the First World War. So, you know, sort of 1916 or so. So actually, we've had about 100 years. So the question here is, just to be clear, in what year was Was the record set? The tank speed record set and and remains to this day. And remains to this day because no tank has gone faster unless it was dropped out of a plane or something. Um, (laughs) Or in that Indiana Jones film where it goes over a cliff. Oh, good point. So in what year was it set and what was that speed? Okay, Violet Berlin, Berlin. the clock is ticking. You're up, baby. Name the speed, first of all. Oh, no good at this. What would it be? Okay, 40 miles an hour. Is that ridiculous? I think 40 miles an hour. It's wrong. Higher, higher. If I remember... So you're saying 40 miles an hour, that's your first guess. And in what year? Do you know what I'm thinking? Yep. 
I don't know. I'm just grasping here. Okay. I'm thinking Cold War. Okay. Because of reconnaissance and the enormous kind of border. And technological arms yeah, race. And you've yeah. Got a... Russia having a history of fast tanks and the border being large and them having to patrol the border and stuff like that. Okay. But I could be wrong. You're not looking positively at me. Challenge, uh, I can't take Cyprus, it anymore. Cyprus. Cyprus. That's not a year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the year. I, but I can't think of you. I have to think what the conflict might be. You see. Will okay, you well, just challenge? Okay, here we go. Please. Okay, 1931, <gasps> and it was an American Christie tank, 104 miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, th- that's ridiculous. I can, hardly, I, I can hardly believe that when I read it. I mean, that is insane. A tank going at over 100 miles an hour. That's just well, ridiculous. I'm doing this from deep, deep, dark memory. If I remember right, the Scorpion tank, which had the Jaguar 6 engine in it, yeah. didn't it? Could do 50 miles per hour I mean, on a paved road. I think you're right. Yeah, fairness, that, was, that was as long as it was going with the wind of change. <laughs> <laughs> If it was going into the wind of change, significantly slower yeah. and more cheesy. But yeah, you're right, those British light tanks of sort of what, what? late 70s? Yeah, uh, yes, kind of yes, yes, um, it was like middle 70s. Yeah, they yeah. Used the Falklands? They were, yes. I don't think they were. They, they, they did, they did have scorpions in the Falklands. How did they get them down there? On the boats? Yeah, yeah. Lifted them with pumice. Sir Galahad, I suppose, took them over. Okay, so what I'm leading to here is. If we were going to take on board this challenge ourselves, if we were going to... If we wanted to beat that record... Yeah. What would be each of our strategies? Richard, have you thought about this? What would you do to make a tank go quick? I'm going to concentrate on aerodynamics. Good. I don't know why. It just seems like it may be an area in which tanks are a little bit short (laughs) at the moment (laughs) and could do with some improvement. Uh, What you're proposing is something that looks like thrust SSE, a very long pointy thing, but with tracks at the back. I'm thinking a sort of egg shape. Okay, bit blunt, but at these sort of speeds, still a bit blunt. A long egg. Well, compared to a tank, well, which I, is, well, well, you know, next yeah. to a barn door is one of the bluntest objects I could think of. Yeah. In general. Yeah, they're not designed to be slippery. They're pretty boxy, solid. I would tackle it things. with gearing. You build it light. First of all, if it's going to go quick. You've got to build it light. So you've got to take some of the armour off. Mm. So it would still have some armour to kind of defeat the point of a tank. No, but can't yeah, we, that, you can't you tackle yeah, it? Tank. It has yes. to be wholly armoured. But can't you tackle it with better materials? Okay, carbon fibre, Kevlar. Well, sure no, 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 it's true. That when a lot of modern tanks do have kind of composite armour, which yeah. has sort of ceramic plates, this trobum armour that British tanks pioneered has ceramic plates. You get some really wacky armour now. You get this stuff called reactive armour, which has, and bear with me here, high explosive sandwiched in between plates of steel. What? And when an incoming round hits your reactive armour, you detonate the explosives that are in between the plates. And long story short, the interaction between the sort of relatively small explosion in the reactive armour disrupts the incoming projectile so if you were standing next to it you're not going to come off very well if you happen to be outside the tank standing next to the bit of reactive armour that gets hit you're not going to come out (laughs) of this very well but if you're inside the tank it's much much better than this incoming round I would find it hard to relax and it's lighter than kind of sticking 12 inches of steel If, they, if I go into a tank and then, and then someone's in the army, I tell you, the thing about this tank that's interesting is the armour is really wacky. <laughs> Immediately I'd be on edge. And then they went, yeah, actually, the whole thing is ringed in high explosives. I think I'd just get out and chance my arms just walking. Okay, so, okay. Okay. so you, re- you really don't want to hear about the kind of the electroreactive stuff. That no, we do. high voltage. Really? And I think this is experimental. I don't think anybody uses this stuff. But the idea is that 
using a very, very high current for a very brief moment of time to kind of set up some very large... It's either a magnetic effect or it's... Uh, repulsors. It, well, in, in, Iron Man repulsors. Mm. It, it disrupts the energy of the incoming projectile in some way and... Mm-hmm. The whole system, I think it just ends up being a lighter system than, let's say, this reactive armour or other stuff. So basically it's a way of messing with the incoming projectile. Okay, so let's assume you're not using any of those sophisticated armour techniques. We've got minimum lightweight, future composite material armour to keep the thing lightweight. I think you're cheating. No, I think you're cheating. I I think we need to have this fantastic armour, don't we? Why wouldn't we have the fantastic well, no, 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 armor? Well, wait, is this a production tank record or is it like a prototype <laughs> experimental tank I think record? it's probably tank can Libra. I, can I raise it? I'm going to go back to basics here. I'm saying, you know, you take your tank, you just put the biggest engine you can possibly fit into it, mm. into it, yeah. and then you do everything you can to reduce the friction all through the drivetrain. All right, because so you do away. I'm guessing that a tank, there's probably quite a lot of losses in the friction in mm. the gearbox and... A tank track is a brilliant thing for getting across rough ground. Well, and, what I was trying to suggest for low friction. You do away mm. with half the wheels supporting the track, right? Because it's only going to run once to break the land speed record. So you have like, twice because you've got to go both ways. Yeah, okay, once in both directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so you can have four or six a minimum rather than the twelve or the eighteen. You take a Scorpio, okay, yep. and instead of having the Jag six-cylinder engine, mm. stick in the V twelve from the XJS. Not a lot more power. No? Mm, might be able to tune it up, I suppose. Talk? Yeah. Because yeah, it's suppose. all about gearing. What you do is you gear it like a train, like an electric train. You know when you're on a train, it goes... You know, there's a huge Your acceleration is so great, but your ultimate top speed is... It's a long runway. like one of those bicycles that does the... Yeah, exactly. You've got to get it up to that speed, and then that top gear will take you from like 40 mile per hour or 62. All we're going to do is 107 miles per hour to break the record, or uh, 105 would do it, wouldn't it? 105 would do it, wouldn't it? Yeah, as long as your error bars are small enough. Oh, yeah. Hang on, I've got a, a practical question here. Yeah. Uh, the tank, as a piece of military hardware, is on the way out, isn't it? They're not. Yeah. They're not relevant. Oh, hang on. Well, good question. Well, oh, God, right under the man tank is on the way out. The it's unmanned the, it's vehicle. It's the unmanned vehicle, yeah. but actually is controversial because a tank crew is pretty fundamental to the operation of a tank. So if yeah. it's not got people in it, it's not really a tank, then is it? It's more like a sort of wheeled drone type thing. Well, yeah. well, well, so, well, well, the tank with people in it is on its way out. So what I'm thinking is that potentially the chance to break this record is slipping away. It could be we no longer have manned tanks and the record will stand as it has done since 1930 you know how fast you were going, sir? Uh, no, sorry, officer, I don't. My tank doesn't have a speedometer. Well, I'll tell you, sir. 
105 miles per hour. Oh, crikey, is uh, that a record? I don't know. As car people, we do strange things like pretend that we're driving a car and walking around the house and skating and some of us wear car or tank overalls in the day and the evening. (laughs) And also, we care about certain car brands and we've known for a while that Lancia's leaving the UK and indeed leaving all of Europe apart from Italy. But what was confirmed recently was that Chrysler are leaving the UK. Are they leaving Europe as well, Richard? Or is it just the UK? Do you know? Uh, that's a good question. Well, no, I, they weren't in Europe. Because, oh, they were all sold as Because they were, they were lunches, So, And then mm. we mm. haven't had lunch in this country for oh, since the 90s. Since the Delta, the last and Delta, yeah. Because remember, there was the Chrysler Delta, which is the Lancia Delta, and which, which lasted mm. here for all of sort of seemingly about six months, and then nobody was interested, so it went away again. But then there's the Lancia Ypsilon, which was the Chrysler. The only, yeah, and yeah. there's the someone who lives near me, he's got one. It's not a terrible-looking car, but it is basically a Fiat 500 in a slightly more twee body. And you mm-hmm. just think, well, I can see why no-one bothered, because... Unless you're really fussed about the larger you? badge, you... Well, I think it doesn't have one. It has a Chrysler badge, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. like, well, it just seems inauthentic. What does that car stand for? What are you buying into there, with the except it's sort of slightly twee? Because Lanches, in Europe, they kind of started to position themselves. They were sort of like posh Fiat's. They suffered a bit from, I suppose, Rover syndrome, where they just felt like maybe they were more ordinary cars with a bit of velour and wood nailed to them, as Rovers were when they were just sort of poshed-up Hondas, and I think people didn't quite feel there was an integrity to them. For quite a while, it seemed Lancia has really been on a bit of a decline, and I think the reason that people that love Lancia tend to love Lancia is to do with their history and their heritage, heritage. and yeah. it, you know and it's cars that they made 20 or 30 years ago or more mm-hmm. it's not anything that they've done more recently than that no, no. the Integrale was the last great and probably the greatest ever Lancia in that respect and there have been some tremendous cars before then but the real shock here is Chrysler leaving the UK and the only reason I'm shocked about this I'm not surprised that no one in the UK wants to buy the 300C which I think is a fine car it's not bad but but not right for the UK but there are very good alternatives Mm. yeah you you can see why it's always going to be a bit of a new product I'm surprised at the Grand Voyagers going because there's nothing to rival it short of the Hyundai 8 bloody minibus (laughs) you know there isn't a big comfy MPV uh, well, actually, having said that, the new V-Class Mercedes is coming soon. That will do the same sort of job. But there are very few rivals. Surely Chrysler could sell to the taxi firm who provide the cars for The Apprentice, at least. Surely that would keep them going. <laughs> well, even that, the last series of The Apprentice, I could never work out if they were reusing shots or if, as it seemed, that Chrysler just couldn't even be bothered to put the work in to supply a fleet of brand new cars because it was more expensive than it was worth and the whole fleet was sort of mishmash of <laughs> two and three year old cars they probably just found around the back of their head office so it sort of felt like they're just going yeah what the apprentice yeah no we've got the ones we used last time actually we haven't sold them no one wants them here you go yeah just give them a good yeah. wash send them yeah out. no they've still got yeah. plenty of space for idiots inside so off you go you see i think chrysler have got badge paranoia haven't they they'd be badging chrysler's lanciers and do you remember when you could buy a chrysler that was a talbot you know they rebadged chrysler's talbot in the was it 80s or late 70s when well that that's happened? a bit more complicated yes because they yes. bought it yeah yeah but yeah the thing about any car name is that they're the most successful when people understand what they're getting from them you know if you say range rover to people they know mm-hmm 
what they're getting and that's why they're able to sort of stretch it into the evoke because the main thing is people go oh range rover oh fancy oh yeah big luxurious posh yeah and bmw oh yeah sporty pushy germanic good engineering yeah good yeah, engineering yeah. and yeah volvo oh safety and sensible and then oh but a bit sporty then in the 90s weren't they and it's sort of you know mm-hmm. there's sort of, even they call it grand values yes even Dacia. Dacia, you know oh thrifty like you know yeah, it's cheap. cost you nothing they're yeah. cheap what do you want they're cheap yeah. that's the thing it's at yeah. least it's, a, it's something isn't it yeah chrysler you go to someone yeah, on the street well, go what do you think of chrysler isn't well, what? Oh, American? Are they American? I'm not sure. I was just thinking, you know, you know, what does Chrysler stand for? And that was exactly what came to mind. I think to most people, Chrysler represents something American. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. You know, most people. But then you mind, show them a Chrysler Epsilon and they go, well, that to me looks like a very small European car. Mm-hmm. What are you trying to pull here? And maybe that's why it wasn't a tremendous success. Whereas who the could have predicted that, the, eh? You know, the 300C, you know, did, did look did very American. Did but the last shape 300C seemed to do quite well. You saw yeah. them around. You with a faux Bentley grill on, which I was, yeah. was awful. Oh, I like it. I, I, like, I quite like the big egg on crate grill. It reminded me of the old Vauxhall Senator. Yes. Right. I thought, no, I was okay. But it was a handsome yeah, car, irrespective of the grill. Yeah. It was a handsome car. And they did seem to sell a few of them. You see them around. And then mm. the new shape one, you just never see them. And if anything, I think it's a better looking car. Mm. Uh, I've flirted with the idea of buying a second-hand 300C wagon I say wagon not a stakes it was a wagon wasn't it which I always thought was a supremely cool quite rock and roll car I like that about it but not as rock and roll as in the US where it was called the Dodge Magnum that's right what yes. a name but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's no way you could sell a car called the Magnum over here though, is it? Well, people go what flavour is it is it going to melt it is it going to melt in the sun in all seriousness wouldn't it be a little bit big for North London roads well it's probably I mean, no bigger than my Sora in terms of footprints at the they're moment massive, see, they're massive yeah. they're big but they're I guess they look bigger than they are because they do have a real kind of heft. Yeah, they have a presence. Look yeah, they and do. Knowing my love for Lancia, when that car became available as the Lancia Thamer, part of me thought, I remember sitting in one with you at a Yes, British we show. did, didn't we? Yes. I remember thinking, actually, I always liked this car, mm. like the Lancia brand. Could I do this? I'd have to buy a left-hand drive one or get a Chrysler and have it rebadged. But somehow, I just couldn't do it despite mm. the fact that it was a car I was very fond of and a brand I was very fond of mm. it was a mismatch and I couldn't commit well that's it because you're very fond of Lancia but that's mm. because of the people who made the HPE and, yes. and the Delta exactly they're not the people who made Ford, the Lancia yeah. Thema of the last generation because that's Chrysler yeah. different company forced together into yeah, the unholy union. union. Some kind. Yeah. Okay. So what you're doing is just buying someone else's car with a Lancia badge stuck on it. You might as well buy a Citroen Saxo and put a Lancia badge on it. So that's the thing. It's, yeah, it's yeah. inauthentic, and I think even people who aren't interested in cars can somehow smell authenticity and conversely lack of it mm. in a car that's just had one badge crossed out and a new name written in a biro. It just doesn't stand up. And mm. there you go. That's it, isn't there it? There ends our lesson. Not only car people care. Clearly, evidence shows that people who weren't car people knew enough to care enough that they couldn't buy a Lancia that was a Chrysler or a Chrysler that was a Lancia. And there ended the lesson, as you quite rightly said, Richard. You've been listening to Zog. Goodbye. To Richard. Goodbye. And I was Gareth, going to leave you with a tune. This is a song that I've written about 24 hours motor racing. We're talking Le Mans, we're talking Daytona, we're talking Spa, we're talking... The 24-hour Dushavo race that in the one. UK, of course. Yeah. Let's not forget that. There's plenty of 24-hour racing, which requires you staying awake all night. Sounds to me like a Talking Heads song. So here's something I wrote in the style of Talking Heads called 24 Hours of Racing. Going to stay awake all night. Enjoy. See ya. 
song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!